0: and turn in them once again to the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. In just a minute, we will read our text once again. And this morning, I want to finish up both the series of messages that we've been looking at entitled Pray, and finish up the uh, message that we've been looking at the last two messages that I've preached. This will be the third message on the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I trust that uh, these messages maybe have challenged you and encouraged you in your prayer life and certainly put before us again the importance of prayer both as our lives individually as followers of Christ and also as a church. Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. I know we've read these uh, both times. I've preached the message from it, but let's do it one more time. If you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word, I'll read our verses out loud. You follow along there in your copy of the Bible. Jesus, as he's preaching uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, he said the following, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for the admonition that we find here in these in this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples concerning our own prayer life. And Lord, I pray as we've looked at these verses these last few weeks and as we will this morning, you'll help us better to understand the privilege that we have in prayer but also the responsibility we have in our prayer and praying. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today. We trust you to do so, Holy Spirit, guide us, teach us Help us to put it into practice. And for this, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, Once again, in these introductory verses to the model prayer, Jesus told us that we are to pray seriously. Again, he says when you pray, not if you pray. Implied that we are to pray. And when we do so, we do it seriously. We are to pray secretly in our prayer clauses. Just you and God. And though that certain does not forbid us for praying in public, our prayer life to be effective must first begin along with God when nobody else in the world knows that we're there except God himself. And then Jesus said we're to pray sincerely, not using meaningless repetition, but praying from the heart. And then Jesus gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer, but as I shared with you, it's better called the Model Prayer Because Jesus really was not giving us a prayer just to memorize and repeat. Uh, Though it's certainly proper to do so at times and in its proper way to use it like that, that's not the intent of it. The intent of this prayer was to teach us as his followers how to pray. And he does so by giving us really a number of deep principles concerning prayer and praying. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at those. I'm going to go back and just quickly review. Uh, There's seven that I find here. I'm sure you could probably find others. But these were principles that teach us about praying and how to better pray. I gave you one word that kind of defined it. And then we looked at each one. Uh, Four I've given you to this point in time. Principle number one was position. And we see that where Jesus prayed, taught us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven. And what I mean by position is simply this. You must be in the position of being a child of God in the family of God if you are to pray and to have your prayers answered our position must be in him in fact the only reason that you and I have the privilege to come to God in prayer is because of the fact that we have been placed in a proper position with God through faith in his son Jesus Christ it's only because of Jesus that you and I have access to the father and as I've shared with you over and over again, and I'll say it again this morning, this is for God's children. Not everybody is a child of God. I know that goes against the political uh, correct crowd today in our, in, our, in our world. But a lot of folks, I hear people say it all the time. I heard somebody say it the other day that didn't have a clue what they're talking Well, we're all God's children. No, you're not. It's true God has created everyone. But you only become a child of God when you become a follower of Jesus. You are adopted into God's family through adoption because of faith in Christ. And it's only those who are in the position of being in his family that have the privilege to pray, to be heard by God, and to have our prayers answered. Position. Our Father who is in heaven. Principle number two was praise. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Jesus was teaching us. Unique is your name. Honored, reverenced is your name. Principle number three was purpose. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus was teaching us to pray before we focus on our own interests. We're to give attention to God's will and pray it be done. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Oh, too often, too often in our praying, we want our will to be done. We only come to God often in prayer, people do, when they want something from God. God, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want from you. This is what I want. And though God does answer our prayers in regards to that when we ask in a proper manner, we'll see that in a minute, God's more interested in his kingdom come than your kingdom come. And the challenge really of the Christian life is this. It's finding out what God's doing and joining God and what he's doing. It's finding out what God's up to and getting apart, getting in on what he's doing. It's joining God's will and his purpose is not mine. God is not interested in blessing your purposes in life. He's very interested in blessing his own. And if you want the joy of Christian living, if you want to experience it to its fullest, find out what God's doing and join him. Jesus taught us to pray that way. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Principle number four was petition. Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray within the context of God's will, God is interested in providing for us even the smallest details of life and living. Our daily bread. Well, that brings us to what I want us to look at this morning. Three more principles. Uh, We'll wrap it up this morning with these three. Uh, Principle number five, the word pardon. The word pardon. Pardon. Jesus taught us to pray this way, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Actually, this part of the prayer Jesus is teaching us, in fact, really it has two different parts or two different aspects to it. Uh, It's not multiple choice here. It's not pick one and reject the other. There's two parts to this prayer that must work together if your prayers are going to be heard and answered by the Lord. You can't have one part of this prayer and neglect the second part. First of all, he says, pray this way, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. This is a prayer of confession of sin. Uh, This word that is translated, I'm reading from a New American Standard Version. This word that is translating debt is an interesting word. Uh, most of the time when we think of debt, we think of owing somebody something. Uh, for instance, many people carry a debt on their home or on their car, and you owe the bank for that debt. Uh, but in the, the case of this word, as it's used here in our Greek New Testament, uh, this word would probably better be translated as offense or trespass. In other words, we're asking God to forgive us of our offenses towards Him, forgive us of our trespasses against Him. And notice something else very important here. We'd we like to overlook this part. We're asking God to forgive us our debts. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to confess everybody else's sin but your own? But we're experts at watching this person and that person and noticing what they do wrong. Look at what they're doing. It's easy to confess somebody else's debts, somebody else's sin. But Jesus taught us Lord, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sin. And in giving us this part of the prayer, Jesus is teaching us a very basic yet important principle when it comes to the believer having their prayers both heard and answered by the Lord. And the Bible's absolutely clear on this. It teaches us Old Testament, New Testament alike that if we expect God to hear our prayers and answer our prayers— we have to deal with our transgressions. We have to deal with our debts. We have to deal with our sins. Now, I've dealt with this earlier in this series. In fact, I don't remember which message it was, second or third one, I believe. We talked about it, but I want to I stay here again for a moment because Jesus stays here. And in, in many ways, I'm not so sure that this isn't where we win or lose the battle of effective praying we have to deal with our sin if we're going to be able to pray in an effective manner other scriptures that teach that i've got them listed there for you in your notes psalm 66 verse 18 the psalmist writes and he says the following if i regard wickedness in my heart the lord will not hear that's why it's important you deal with sin It's interesting that word regard here is used over 1,300 times in the Old Testament. It has numerous meanings, but in this case, it means to perceive, to select, or to cause to enjoy. The word wicked that is used here in the Hebrew, it's interesting that it is a general word that refers to all types of sin, and if you put those two together, if I regard wickedness, really it would translate this way, when we select and enjoy sin in our hearts, the Lord will not hear our prayer. That's why for some people they pray and they pray and they pray and they pray and God never answers. Their prayers never never getting higher than the ceiling if you would. The problem is they've never dealt with their heart. They've never gotten right before a God. They've never come to the end of their sin. They've never confessed it to the Lord. David knew the reality of this as he was writing many of the Psalms. In fact, out of our 150 Psalms in our Old Testament, seven of those Psalms are called penitent Psalms. They deal with David's confession of sin as David had transgressed against the Lord. And if you know anything about his life, you know what he did. He had to deal with the sin. He had to come face to face with his sin. Seven Psalms, he writes entirely about dealing with the sin. Psalm 32 is an example of that. Psalm 32, first six verses, David writes and he he records these words. How blessed is he, she, the person whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then he writes, and he had to do that before he could write what he's about to write. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you at a time when you may be found. But until you deal with your sin, you're wasting your breath to pray, unless you're praying a prayer of confession. That's why we have to deal with our sin sin Isaiah also in the Old Testament framed it this way Isaiah 59 1 and 2 behold the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear but your iniquities your sin have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So that's why Jesus is teaching us here. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our transgressions. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us, God, our offenses. Forgive us of our. Sin. Boy I'm glad First John 1 9 is in the Bible aren't you? Tells us this if conditional if we confess our sin he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, folks, if you want to be effective in your prayer, if you want to know and have a meaningful prayer life, if you want to experience God's presence in a very, very special way as you pray, to know him personally, to know him deeper, to grow in your walk with him as you pray, you, you've got to deal with our transgressions. You've got to deal with your, so, well, preacher, I don't know I have any sin. Well, you've got a problem then. If you don't think you've got a sin, ask your husband or wife. They'll tell you. Ask the neighbor. Ask somebody you work with. Ask God to show you. I promise you he'll show you. Well, you know, I really, I really found out a long time ago when, when God began to do a deep work in my life, and he's still been doing that work over these years. Folks, one of, one of the things that happened in my walk, and I really believe this is true for a person who's walking with the Lord, I became more and more aware of my sin. Well, thank God it's forgiven. Thank God he separated it from me as far as the east is from the west. Thank God for his goodness and his forgiveness. But folks, I also came to realize that if I'm going to walk with God who is a holy God, I got to deal with sin in my life. I can't play with sin. I can't, I can't allow it to go undealt with in my life. And because I'm in this flesh, we'll talk about this in a minute. Because I'm in this flesh, there are going to be times in my life I'm still, as a believer, I'm going to trip up and I'm going to fall. I'm going to do things. I'm going to say things. I'm going to have attitudes in my mind. I'm going to have thoughts go across my mind. I'm going to have actions that God's not pleased with. And when I do, as a believer, I become more and more aware of my sinfulness And God convicts me, just like David was saying here in Psalm 32. He convicts me so that I can get right with him so I can walk continually in fellowship with him. Because if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear. Forgive us. Our debts, Jesus taught us to pray. And then he prays and teaches us a second part. This is not a second principle because it goes hand in hand with the one we're talking about. He says this as we forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. We are asked to be forgiven, and we are asking to be forgiven as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. How important that is. I ask God to forgive me. I must in turn forgive those who've trespassed against me. This is so important. This is such a powerful principle. And such a powerful truth, Jesus, after he finishes giving this model prayer to his followers, he gives us commentary on it. In fact, after he teaches us this prayer in verses 14 and 15, he goes on to say the following. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive you you, of your transgressions. Now, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's pretty strong. And that's not my opinion about it. That's Jesus. If you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. Uh, This is not the only time in the gospel Jesus speaks his truth. This is not the only time he lays it out. In Mark's gospel, the 11th chapter, verses 25 and 26, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven, forgive. He talks about forgiving. Let me read that again. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive you your transgression. Forgive me, Lord, for what I did, but I still hate my brother. In fact, I'll never forgive him. I never, never will forgive them. And Jesus says and I won't forgive you. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty straightforward. Folks, that's why I've said this over and over for this pulpit since I've been your, your interim pastor. I've told you this. You can't be right with God and wrong with your fellow man. You, you, you can try to be, but you can't be. You can't skirt that issue. You can't excuse it. You can't say, you can't say, to the Lord, I'm not going to forgive them. And I've heard it. I've heard it in church. I've heard people talking about other church members. Well, I'll never forgive them for what they did. Do you, do you know what a person is saying when they say that? They're saying, God won't forgive me. Now, you can paint that any other way you want to, but it won't be painted Right? That's strong words. And here's the reason. If I have come to know the grace of God, if God could forgive me of my transgressions, then there's nothing somebody else could do to me that would be greater than what I did to him. And if I really know his forgiveness, it will be demonstrated in how I forgive others. We, we, got, we got people in the church that won't speak to one another because they, well, I just didn't like the way they acted towards me. They just weren't very kind to me. I didn't like the way they treated me. So I'll avoid them, I won't talk to them. And we think we're right with God. I realize there are things that people can do to us that can hurt us deeply. You know, I, I shared with the early service this morning, um, there's not a one of us that hasn't been hurt deeply by others. Folks, I've, I've had the privilege of pastoring great churches over these years. Um, now there were different degrees of greatness with some of these churches. But anyway, they were, all, they were all, I think, great churches. But even in those churches, there were people who hurt me deeply. There have been people that said things about I know that comes as a shock to you that somebody would say something about me. I mean, it just really does. I get people mad at me sometimes. Sometimes it's my own fault. There have been times along the way I didn't do what I should have. Maybe I didn't ask about a person in the right way. Maybe I didn't minister to them in the way that I should have. I'm human. I do that. I don't do it intentionally. Don't ever try to do it intentionally. But i failed people. I've had people get very angry with me over things I've said from the pulpit. I've never tried to cause people to get angry with me. But I learned a long time ago, you preach truth, truth's going to offend. I don't want to be offensive in what I say. But if I preach the truth, people are going to be offended. I've just accepted that as a part of what God's called me to do. And if you get offended at the truth, that's your problem, not mine. Now, if I say it in an offending way, I'm sorry. And if I do so, I will apologize for it if I see that I have done that. But if you, get, if you get your dander all up because I've said something that you don't like, but yet the Bible teaches it, you're going to have to talk to God about it. I've accepted that. But I do know that regardless of what people have said about me, what people do to me, how people act towards me, never gives me the right not to forgive them and you think it does you have short-circuited what god wants to do in your heart you can't be right with god and be wrong with your fellow man i uh, one of the funniest illustrations i've ever read about of this principle Uh, came from Dr. James Dobson. You know him. You've heard of him over the years. Dr. Dobson was in Southern California. And he was, I think, speaking at a conference. But as he was traveling to this conference, he happened to see a sign that was on the property border of a convent in South California. And when he stopped and read the sign, it said the following... Absolutely no trespassing. Visitors will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And the sign was signed by the Sisters of Mercy there at the convent. (laughs) How can I say to my brother or my sister, I can't forgive you if I've been shown the mercy and the forgiveness of God. By the way, one person said this verse really translates this way, forgive us our sins in proportion as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. I think that's right. William Barclay in his commentary on Matthew, and you have to be careful some of Barclay's theology, but he's right here. He said this, if we say, I will never forgive so-and-so for what he or she has done to me, if we say, I will never forget what so-and-so did to me, and then go and take this petition to our lips, asking God to forgive us, we are quite deliberately asking God not to forgive us. As someone has put it, forgiveness like peace is one and indivisible human forgiveness and divine forgiveness are forever intercombined. Our forgiveness of our fellow man and God's forgiveness of us cannot be separated. They are interlinked and interdependent. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Position our Father who is in heaven, praise, hallowed, Be your name, purpose, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Petition, give us this day our daily bread, pardon and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Here's the last two parts. Principle number six, plea, plea, P-L-E-A. And here Jesus is really giving us, I think, a prayer to plead to the Lord concerning dealing with this whole matter of sin. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This sixth prayer principle is a plea for God to work in our lives regarding temptation and evil in this world. Again, it kind of carries two faults, two trains, as you think about it, two different aspects, but it's really just one. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil. Alexander McLaren explained that the petition of the previous clause, forgive us our debts, has to do with the past. This phrase, do not lead us into temptation, has to do with the future. There are some translations that translates this particular part of the prayer as follows. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's how it's translated. Now, I think at the very outset, it needs to be understood that God never tempts us with evil, nor does he tempt us to do evil. Being a holy God, that would be absolutely uh, against his holy nature. Um, it would be div- against his divine nature to do so. In fact, James puts it this way. First, uh, James 1 verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. But I do think that Jesus, as he taught us to pray this way, he's dealing with an issue here that every human has to deal with as long as he or she is alive in this flesh. And Jesus recognizes that we all will be tempted by sin and the flesh. So he is teaching us as his disciples to pray that we won't fall into temptation. Or be led into temptation. Or give in to that temptation that eventually leads us to sin. You understand temptation by itself is not sin. But if you don't deal with temptation, it leads to sin. So Jesus teaches us to pray about temptation he teaches us to pray about the source of temptation the enemy in fact it seems to me that this part of the model prayer jesus dealing both with the inward nature of temptation and sin and the outward nature of temptation and sin the inward nature of sin comes from temptation do not lead us into temptation the outward nature of sin comes from satan the evil one deliver us from evil Or deliver us from the evil one. Either way you want to look at it. Uh, Where does temptation come from? It comes from within the heart. Because we all were born into sin. We get tempted from the inside. The reason I know that's true is you would not be tempted. If you didn't have that desire in your heart. Amen. It comes from. Our hearts—that's where temptation begins, from the heart, from the flesh. Um, have you ever thought about what? What does certain things tempt some people, but doesn't tempt others? I mean, there's some things that tempt me. There's some things that don't tempt me. Uh, for instance, and I'm not—I am not by any means trying to put myself on a. I'm not putting myself on a podium. I guess I am on one. Um, but I'm not doing it in regards to this. I'm just, I'm, this, is a, this is just an honest confession. But I'll go on to tell you about my own struggles. Um, a lot of people are very, very tempted by alcohol. Now, I don't know what you think about alcohol. I hate it. I hate it on a lot of bases. Uh, I cannot stand alcohol. For one thing, I don't like alcohol. What little bit I've had over my life of alcohol, I can't stand the taste of it. How somebody can drink that stuff and think it's good. I just, it's way beyond me. The smell is enough to make me get sick. Uh, But some people like it. Uh, After all these years of ministry, listen to me. If you had to deal with the broken families that I've had to deal with because of alcohol, you you would run a hundred miles an hour from it. If you had had to deal with the heartbreak and the tragedy that alcohol has brought to our culture, like I've had to deal with it, you wouldn't want anything to do with it. So I made up my mind a long time ago. I wasn't going to drink. But to be quite honest with you, it does not tempt me whatsoever. And I'm not saying that in pride. I'm not proudful about that. I'm not saying that arrogantly. I'm not saying that because I've got the ability to do it. God in his grace has just allowed me not to be tempted by it. In fact, I could, I won't, I will not. I could go to a bar. I could sit there all day long and never once be tempted to take a drink of alcohol for the reasons I just gave you. But I realize... There are a lot of people who are greatly tempted by it. Some of you are. I don't have any doubt about it. And it's something that can get your attention quick. Many of you struggle with it. I have no doubt. I know this is a Baptist church. But I have no doubt alcohol is a stronghold for some people in this building. It's destroying your life. Probably some families. Right now doesn't tempt me but why does it tempt others I don't know I've got things that tempt me that maybe don't tempt you there are some things the devil can dangle in front of my face and he got my attention by tempting me I'm not going to tell you what those things are this morning but I got them just like you do and isn't it amazing that he knows what to the devil knows not tempt me with alcohol have no desire But buddy, those things that I struggle with, he knows just when to throw it my way to try to get my attention. You know, that's how sin works. You you think about all the way back to Adam and Eve. Any sin that we deal with goes back to Adam and Eve. Our first parents from Adam and Eve been passed down through all generations. the sin nature that we have to deal with. You look at what happened to Eve, and Adam had his own faults in this matter. We could talk about his this morning. But if you look and see what happened to Eve along the way, you'll find out that Eve had a desire that she didn't deal with properly. Most of the time, temptation comes towards a God-given desire that we don't want to fulfill in a God-given manner. She had two desires in the garden. A desire for food, a desire for knowledge. Nothing wrong with either one of those two. They're both God-given desires. God's put within us the desire for food. God's put within us the desire for knowledge, for the right kind of knowledge. And in a God-given manner, there's nothing wrong with fulfilling those. But all of a sudden, Eve had a desire for knowledge, a God-given desire, that she began to look at fulfilling in a God-forbidden manner. She had desire and she was deceived about her desire. Her lust caused her to listen to temptation of the enemy. She disobeyed. Her deceived desire caused her to disobey what God had told her to do. And it blinded her to what God told her would happen to her. That eventually led to death, didn't it? When she took of that forbidden fruit, it led to death. Death. Spiritual death, ultimately physical death. All because of temptation that went wrong. And folks, that's probably in part why Jesus is teaching us here. Do, to pray, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. By the way, he's gracious to do it. 1 Corinthians 1013, no temptation is overtaking you, but as such is common to man. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. 2 Peter 2, 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And Jesus teaches us to pray, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Praise uh, principle number 7. I close with his praise. Jesus started with praise, he ends with praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He begins the prayer with praise, he ends it with praise. And the reason for it is God loves to be praised. He inhabits the praises of his people. When you come to God, you see how great he is. That's why you praise him. And when you leave in his presence, you know how great he is. That's why you leave with praise on your lips. He reminds us here about the importance of purpose and praying Purpose. Yours is the kingdom, Lord. Remember, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about you. Boy, that's a good way to finish any prayer that we pray. Lord, it's not about me. It's about you and your kingdom. Help me to remember that, Lord. Yours is the kingdom. And then he says, and the power and the glory forever. You know, you know what Jesus is reminding us? I think in that prayer, he's reminding us that this is all about Christ. And Christ is building his church. He's going to build his kingdom. And the thing that we need to do is just get in on what he's doing. When I'm learning to pray, it's not about what I want. It's about finding out what he's doing and joining him. and seeing what he's doing in his kingdom. Finding out what he's doing in his kingdom and getting involved in what he's doing hey folks that's the secret to individual life and living that's the secret to a church you want first baptist church of noonan to get successful you want first baptist church of noonan to grow and prosper in the years to come one simple answer to that find out what god's doing and join him he's going to build his church now if you want to do your own thing if you want your opinions to dominate if you want what you want more than what god wants god will let you have it you'll get what you can do I'd rather have what God's doing. What about you? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Lord, that's our heart's desire today. Thank you for teaching us to pray in such a manner. Lord, thank you for the grace that you give us to be able to pray. Thank you for the opportunity of prayer that we have. Oh, Lord, help us as those that get so easily sidetracked to be more concerned about you and your kingdom than we are our own, to pray accordingly and then to act accordingly. Lord, for that person who might be here today who's never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray today through something that's been shared as your word has been presented, as your Holy Spirit has been working, that that person might sense their need to come to Christ today. Oh Lord, may they realize their lostness, May they also realize today there's only one answer to that lostness, and his name is Jesus. Thank you for sending your son, that you loved us so much, that you sent your only begotten son to this earth. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Lord, for that person today that needs to come to you, oh God, would you draw them to your, your side today? Would you draw, draw them to your son? you're here today you've never been saved as we stand and sing in a moment Lee's coming back to lead us would you give your heart and your life to Jesus this is what I want to ask you to do as we begin to sing I'm going to be standing down front congregation is going to be standing and singing but would you step out from where you're standing just quietly make your way down front take me by the hand all you need to say is pastor Ken I need to give my life to Christ we'll have one of our staff members take you back to the back for just a moment and in the privacy of those moments, open God's Word to you and share with you how you can give your heart to Christ today, how you can find the promise of eternal life, how you can become a child of God and position yourself in God's family this morning. Would you come? Don't hesitate. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. And then Christian, if God has spoken to your heart, you come. If you need to come join this fellowship, you just need to come for prayer at this altar you come as God has spoken to your heart. Lord, this is our prayer. Help us to walk in obedience to it now. And we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Would you stand to your-